<clears throat> Welcome to Pilgrim Processing on Faith Seeking Understanding. I'm John Green and I'm your host. It's Wednesday, March the 17th, 2021. It is St. Patrick's Day and we would do well to keep St. Patrick's Day in a, in a way other than it is popularly observed across the world today <clears throat> by pursuing righteousness and praying that the Lord would give us a people like he gave to Patrick. Patrick was an extraordinary man. He was, as a young one, he was taken as a slave on a ship and taken to Ireland and there forced into slavery for a number of years until he finally got away. Got back, went home, went to seminary, <clears throat> did all the stuff necessary to prepare to be a priest, and then the Lord called him to Ireland in a dream. And so he went back to the land of his captivity, and there began a ministry, and it was an incredible ministry. And what he would do was he would set up monastic kind of communities on the outside of, of cities and towns around Ireland. He'd set up that community, and that community would become a model community for the people in the town to see. There was a difference between the people living in the town, a life of debauchery, a life of sin, and, and the people that lived in the monastery. And then so some of the people would come from that town, and they would come to be part of that group in that new city, as it were. And then he would leave them with some of the others behind, and then others would go to another place. And they would start a work there, and they would continually do this all over Ireland. And so he was a man who cared deeply about those who had held him captive. It's important, I think, that, that we remember always that our battle's not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We need to remind ourselves constantly we're not fighting against these people. These people could be called our brothers and sisters at a later date. And so it's a wonderful, wonderful thing that Patrick is known particularly for Ireland because he was treated so badly in that place. But when the Lord called him to go back there and minister to those people, he went unhesitatingly and gave all of his heart and all of his life to that people. Let's begin with a, a word from the psalm as a, a, a prayer. With my mouth I will give great thanks to the Lord. I will praise him in the midst of the throng, for he stands at the right hand of the needy one to save him from those who condemn his soul to death. So we're continuing in Jeremiah today. It's Jeremiah 18. And again, he's giving Jeremiah a living word, the Lord is, to give to the people. He, he says, go to the potter's house, and there I'll let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. In other words, it just wasn't coming out. It was ruined. The work that he was doing was ruined. And then he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. And then the word of the Lord came to him and began to speak to Jeremiah about what he had just seen. And the word is, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done? He can change his mind, is what he's saying. I, I can, if something becomes other than, if it becomes spoiled, and remember that's what happened to the loincloth as well, but if it becomes spoiled in, in my hands, if it becomes something other than what I intended it to be, not through my own fault, but through the fault of the people, then I can change my mind and I can do something else with it, like this. He says, Behold, the clay is in the potter's hand, so you're in my hand, Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom, I'll pluck up and break down and destroy it. And if that nation concerning which I've spoken turns from its evil, I'll relent of the disaster that I intend to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will 
build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I'll relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. He says, Behold, I'm shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return every one from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. He said, This can go either way, and it depends on you. If you'll repent and turn from your evil ways, then I'll relent of the disaster that I had prepared for you. He said, but I'm equally capable of relenting of the good that I intended to do to you. And so it's in our hands is the ability to make the decision, but we are clay in his hands. Remember, again, the, the Jonah story, what happens there. God relented of the disaster that he would bring against them, but God also relented of the disaster that he was going to bring against the people of Israel in the wilderness when they had made the golden calf. We need to remember that God's mercy exceeds his judgment in many, many ways. He doesn't want to execute judgment, but it's there because justice is important and righteousness is important. And justice sometimes means that we get our own way, be it done according to your will. Sometimes God has to say to us, you chose this path, knowing that this path led to judgment and and here we go, because you wouldn't repent and return from your evil ways. God's willing and forbearing with us always wills for life because he created us for life and he gave us life. It's not his will to take it away, but it's always partially in our hands whether we listen to his voice and obey his voice and return to him. And so God's showing through Jeremiah, you're always in my hands. And it's interesting that he uses the potter's wheel there because if you remember back in creation in, in um, Genesis 2, he took us of the dust of the earth and he formed man. He used his hands and formed us and shaped us and then breathed life into us. It's important that we remember that always, that we are in his hands. And that's the reason that um, Jonathan Edwards preached that sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. That's exactly the image that he had in mind for that. And so we, we are in his hands and we do choose the outcome at some level, although our will is bound, but we've been set free by the Spirit of God to make those choices now if we are in Christ. So Jesus then comes into this gospel lesson from John 6, 27 to 40 again, and he speaks of these same kinds of things, that you have a choice, you're making the wrong choice. You're, you're choosing based on your appetite. You're not choosing based on your true need. Because what you really need is more than the food that you were just given. And remember at the end of the last one, it's also the beginning of this lesson. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Well, Jesus, the Son of Man, has just given them food. And he has already said, this is the reason you're coming after me now and seeking after me is because you want more food. And then he says, for on him, God the Father, him, the Son of Man, has set his seal, his imprimatur. And he is the one that we're supposed to turn to, listen to, and believe and seek after for that reason. And order that we might get the food that endures to eternal life. And they said to him, what do we do then to be doing the works of God? Everybody wants to know what they have to do. What are the things that we do to do the works of God? Um, Jesus says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. You mean that's it? We just have to believe. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. 
because that belief changes you. That belief, again, remember the word creed, the credo, the Greek word means believe something, means to stake your life upon it, to bet everything you have on it, to orient your entire life around that belief. So to believe in Jesus is to orient your life around Jesus and to orient your life around the truth of Jesus, which is in him and in him alone is eternal life. And then we must be about becoming like the one on whom God has set his seal of approval. He's the only one God set his seal upon. And so they said to him then, okay, all right, big boy, how about this? What sign are you going to give us that we may see and believe you? Well, he just fed them miraculously like Moses did, and they believed that because they said, he's the prophet, let's make him king. Before that, it says they were seeking him because of the signs they'd seen him do on the sick. I mean, how many signs you want? What do you need here? He's doing stuff nobody else did. You've already elevated him to the place of Moses. And you're not willing to believe today? What happened between last night and today? Well, you got hungry. And why do I think that? Why is that? Is that not cynical for me to say such a thing? I don't think so, because here's what happens next. What work do you perform? And then they suggest something Jesus can do to prove himself. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Mm, no, that's not cynicism. They just proved it. They proved that what they really wanted was him to feed them again, just as he had suggested earlier, just as I just suggested. They want him to feed them again. We'd like you to do that again, and again, and again. Not because we trust you, but because we're asking you to prove yourself. We need you to keep doing that. And if you stop doing it tomorrow, then I'm going to question you, and I'm going to doubt you, and I'm not going to believe in you anymore. So Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, it wasn't Moses who gave them bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, sir, give us this bread always. You know who they sound like? They sound like the Samaritan woman at the well. He just created a need in them for something that they truly wanted. He exposed to them what they truly wanted, which is, this bread from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, give us this bread always. Can you hear the longing in that? They, the woman said, so that I won't have to come here anymore. But she wanted that water that Jesus had promised. And he says, that I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. It's a powerful thing. Jesus comes on and says, all the Father has comes that gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I'll never cast out I've come down from heaven not to do my will but the will of him who sent me and this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me but raise it up at the last day this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life and I'll raise him up on the last day and that goes back to what he told Nicodemus way back in John 3 about like the son of man being like the serpent in the wilderness that was raised up and that all that gaze on him would not die but have eternal life. And Jesus is referring to that in these words right here. 
whoever looks on the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. He's promising more than what happened through Moses, through that serpent in the wilderness. Jesus has already accepted that they believe that he's the one like Moses who will come later. He's accepted their belief in that, but he's pointing them further. That's not enough. He's not satisfied with that because it's honestly not enough to simply believe he's one like Moses. No, he has to be something greater than that. If you're going to receive everything he has to offer and you want more, then you're going to want to believe that he's more than Moses because Moses had limitations, as did all who came before him. Jesus has no limitations. And so he needs you to believe more. If you're going to have eternal life, and not just the life that they got from looking at the serpent that day, but eternal life, then you need to believe that Jesus is more than that. Jesus always calls us to believe more. Go to Romans 8, the first 11 verses there. It's one of the most famous, well-known chapters in the entire Bible. It begins with, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no better word than that in the entire Bible. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can you imagine, really and truly, believing that fully? You'd be set free from every fear that you'd ever have of judgment if you believed there was no condemnation for you because of Jesus, because of your belief in Jesus. If you believe in him like Moses, there's still condemnation for you. If you believe in him as the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, there's no condemnation for you, none. No matter what men might think, no matter what men might say, no matter how you might, people might think of you on the streets, whatever you've done, however they may judge you, there is no condemnation before the living, holy God. You've been set free. You don't have to care what anybody else says or believes about you because God believes entirely in you in the same way that he believes in his son Jesus because you're in Christ Jesus. When he sees you, he sees Jesus and he loves you. He loves you no matter what your past might look like. Because he says the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Whatever you were before is not who you are now. You're a completely different person because you believe in the Son. He said God's done what the law couldn't do. He sent his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. He said that you are a new creation. He says those who are in the flesh, those who continue to live that way, can't please God. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And that's not talking just about eternal life. If the Spirit of Christ dwells in you, you have life in you now. In the same way Jesus promised those that day, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. 
The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, give us this bread always. That's your prayer today. Sir, give us this bread always. More and more of you. More and more of your spirit.